So if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 4. Today we were, we're going to co- uh, conclude this incredible journey that we've gone through the book of Colossians. Just um, everything that, that Paul has taught us. There, you know, there's still so much to learn. Like I said, you know, what, what, I, what, I, what the Lord gave me, I know there's still so much. But, you know, I just pray that I was able to give you enough, you know, to just really increase our understanding of who Christ is and uh, trying to make it as simple as possible for us to learn. You know, it's at the end of the day, it's, it's pretty simple who Christ is, you know, who He is in our lives. He's supposed to have the preeminent place in our lives. He is God. And I'm just so thankful that Paul just confirms that through this book of Colossians. And it just really inspired, it really ministered to my heart to just in everything I do, just consider you know, just magnifying Christ in our lives. So uh, chapter one, Paul taught us, you know, the supremacy of Christ, the supremacy. He's preeminent. Uh, Chapter two, he taught us about the sufficiency of Christ. He is all sufficient. He is all we need. And chapter three, Paul demonstrated to us Christ's sufficiency in the way we live in, in demonstrating um, the sufficiency of Christ through the way we live in our actions, in our lives. Now in chapter 4, Paul concludes with a final word of encouragement. This incredible word of encouragement. Paul here, he, 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 he's giving us three important devotions as he concludes. Three important devotions. So our key word here is going to be devoted. Devoted. And what that word means is to be steadfast. Be steadfast. Hold tightly to, to not let go, to persevere. It means to be courageously persistent, courageously persistent, devoted, uh, um, to be steadfast. And the same word is used in Acts uh, chapter two, verse forty-two, uh, by the early church, and they it said, and they continued steadfastly, devoted in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And the same command is very much like how Paul ended in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. He says, My beloved brethren, be steadfast, devoted, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The de- the, a life of devotion, a devoted life... Um, Every time I receive a counsel call or, or I counsel someone, the first thing I ask them is, how is your devotional life with the Lord? You know, you're having problems, you're going through trials, but how is the devotional life? Because it's so important that we have a devotional life with the Lord daily. It has to be a daily devotion with God. So here in chapter 4, verses, we're going to begin in verse 2. Uh, verse 2 through 18, we will see these three important devotions from Paul. So first, let's get started. Verses 2 through 4, the first one, Paul gives us a devotion to prayer. A devotion to pray. And you know, so many of us take for granted as Christians, so many times we take for granted the power of prayer, the gift of prayer that God's given us. The gift to be able to, I, I, like, I, I know sometimes we find it hard because of, you know, we get tired, we get busy, but nothing should get in the way. We should, prayer should be priority in everything. Why is it that we put our jobs, uh, our, you know, everything else before the Lord? We make everything else a priority and we fail to give time to the Lord So Paul here gives us four ways to pray. Four ways that we need to pray and have that devotional life with the Lord. And first, we're going to see pray faithfully. To pray faithfully in verse 2, he starts off, continue earnestly in prayer. Continue earnestly in prayer. And notice Paul starts with prayer and, and, and he tells them to continue earnestly. Paul here shows us an urgency for prayer in our lives. 
an urgency to pray. And the word continue here, it implies a persistent and fervor prayer. A persistent and fervor prayer. Paul was serious about their prayer life, and we need to be serious about our prayer life. You know, because without it, you know, here Paul just taught them that everything he taught us without prayer, everything he taught us here, everything he taught them, this letter would all go to waste if they failed in prayer. So Paul wants to finish this, this, this book with, hey, like, guys, we need to pray. We need to pray. And Paul is trying to get us to understand here that our life and ministry, it will only continue to prosper through a devoted prayer life. Last study in chapter 3, if you remember, Paul spoke about being heavenly minded. Being heavenly minded to seek and think the things of heaven. If you remember that, therefore, it's, it's the one who's always, who always prays. Uh, he is the, 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 that's the Christian who has his heart and his mind consistently lifted up to God in all places, in all areas, every, day, every minute, every moment of their life. It's possible to pray every minute, every moment. As you go through, you're constantly thinking of heaven. You're constantly seeking the things of heaven. And the praying Christian here, he walks with God continually. Walking with God continually. Having his heart and his mind fixed upon him. And notice what it means to walk with God. In Genesis 5.24 when it says, And Enoch walked with God. And notice, he was not for God took him. Notice, to pray always, God, is, is to stay in a constant communion with God. To praise, to be in that constant communion with God. And Enoch here, he walked with God because he, was sta- he, was, he stayed in this constant communion with God. He walked with God and notice God took Enoch, which is a type of the rapture. This is a type of the rapture. And remember last study, Paul mentioned to us about the rapture in chapter 3, verse 4. He says, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see guys, a sign of a heavenly minded person is a person who devotes her life to prayer. And and he's always staying ready for the return of Christ. He's always ready. And it will be the heavenly minded Christian who stays in who stays constantly in prayer who, uh, it will be that christian that will meet the lord in the air on the day of of his return because notice it, jesus said in luke 21 verse 36 notice about the importance of prayer and keeping watch he says watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and notice to stand before the Son of Man. Pray always that you may be counted worthy to stand before the Son of Man. Only a devoted prayer life is what will count us worthy. Only a devoted prayer life is what will count us worthy to escape judgment and stand before Jesus when he returns. Be counted worthy. Live a life worthy of Christ, worthy of, your, of, of the, the, the title Christian. And then when you meet the Lord in the air, on the day of the rapture, we will be counted worthy. And second, he tells us to pray watchfully. Pray watchfully. Notice verse 2 again. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant. Vigilant here literally means to keep watch, to to be wakeful, to stay awake. Paul here is telling them, stay awake and pray. Stay awake. And this is very important. Sometimes our body and our minds, we become so exhausted that we struggle to stay awake while we pray. Right? Right? Sometimes we pray as if we're, we're rushing to go to bed. If, as, as we're, we say our prayers so, so we can rush to get to bed, go to sleep, because we have to be up early. 
Sometimes we're rushing because our minds, we're, we, we are very tired. We get exhausted. And have you ever found yourself struggling in that area? Have you ever found yourself struggling to pray because of how tired you are? Paul here tells us, be vigilant, be wakeful, stay awake. And, and, and do you realize that the enemy uses that? The enemy sometimes will pound on us, exhausting us. You have a, 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 a rough day at work. The enemy uses that to exhaust us. So what? So we forget about prayer. So we go home, it's like, oh, I'll pray later. I'll pray later because I'm tired. God will understand. He is faithful. He is merciful. But praying always notice. It, me personally, I battle with that sometimes. I get tired all the time. My fiance gets mad at me of uh, 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 always being tired. <laughs> You're always tired. Why? Well, I work in the ministry. What do you want from me? No, just kidding. No, it's like I, I, some, I battle with that. I feel like I'm always tired sometimes. However, it doesn't matter how tired you are or how weak you are. Just pray. I love what Ruth Bell Graham here said. Uh, pray when you feel like it, for it is a sin to neglect such an opportunity. Pray when you don't feel like it, for it is dangerous to remain in such a condition. I have the greatest victory in a day when I start my day in prayer. But sometimes I fail even in my sleep because I fail to pray. And, and, and you know, sometimes I, I'm not able to sleep because God's constantly like sometimes waking me up. Pray. Pray. Satan trembles when he sees you in a weak state, when he sees the weak Christian upon his knees. Satan trembles at that when he, when he has exhausted you throughout all the day, the whole day, and you come home and you are exhausted, you are weak, you are tired, but you get on your knees and you pray. Satan fears that Christian and he will leave you alone. And that's where we find our, our strength. That's where we find our powers through prayer. You know, consider what happened to Peter. Remember Peter and his, how he fell? Jesus in Luke chapter 22, right after he predicted Peter's fall, he told him, pray that you may not enter into temptation. But instead, what did Peter do? He slept. He slept, Jesus said uh, in verse 45, Jesus found them sleeping. Peter was sleeping. The other disciples, they were sleeping. They were exhausted. But Jesus said, pray. And then he said, why do you sleep? Pray. He says, rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Prayer keeps us from temptation. So notice, I believe if Peter would have stayed awake, I believe that he would not have denied Jesus that night if he would have stayed awake and prayed. Jesus is faithful to warn him, you will deny me. He is faithful to warn us, you're going to deny me if you fail to pray. You will deny him if you fail to pray. When Prayer is going to prepare you for that moment that Christ has for you to glorify him. And sometimes we fail to do that in public because we're embarrassed or we're ashamed or we don't have the, the, the boldness that we're going to talk about in a, in a little bit. Paul here reminds us, do not fall asleep. Pray so that we do not enter into temptation, so that we do not deny Christ, so that the Christian, that, so that Christ will be preeminent in our lives so that we may be ready for His return, so that we may be counted worthy. Pray. Pray. And third, pray thankfully with thanks. Verse 2 again, notice, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. If you haven't noticed, Paul has mentioned about giving uh, thanks six times in this book alone. And he shows about, he talks about giving thanks all throughout his epistles. And what fi I find it interesting is he said he, he, in, Eph in Ephesians, 
in, in Philippians, in, this, in, in, in the book of Colossians, he's always telling you to give thanks. And the fact is that Paul was a prisoner. He was in chains. He was in bondage at, at the time he was writing these epistles. And this makes the, the emphasis on giving thanks uh, so much more amazing to me. It's, it, it's incredible that he was in chains, but yet he's constantly saying, give thanks, be thankful with thanksgiving. This really speaks and ministers to me personally because sometimes we don't want to pray or we fail to pray because we're going through some trials. Because we're going through hard times and it's like, ah, you know, why would God allow us? You know, maybe he, He's not listening to my prayers, so I'm not going to pray. But no, Paul here, he was in, in, in chains. He was imprisoned in Rome, but yet he said, give thanks. And we need to understand that the purpose of our prayers, guys, it's not to get our will done in heaven. The purpose of our prayer is not to get our will done. It is not for us to have our way. God is not some genie that you can call down and say, Lord, I need, I want this, I want that. You know, it's not our will. It is to get God's will done on earth. What did, how did Jesus teach us to pray? God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what prayer is. It's you receiving the will of God in your life. And Paul was very well aware of, the, of his circumstances. He was very well aware of his suffering. He was very well aware of it, yet he gave thanks because why? He knew it was God's will for him. He knew that God had ordained that prison cell for him. He knew that that's exactly where God wanted him. Therefore, as, as we continue to read the Word of God, as we continue to fellowship with Him and pray, with, uh, we, we begin to discover His will and, 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 and what He wants for our lives. And we can boldly ask Him, what would you have me do, Lord? You can boldly ask, what is it that you want me to do, Lord? You stay in His Word. You pray. You fellowship with Him. You have a devotional life. Lord, what do you want me to do? Some doors will be closed, but the right doors will be opened for you. When Paul, when Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus, he said, who are you, Lord? And then he says, all right, Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? So when he answered here, When God answers you, our hearts will be filled with thanksgiving. When He answers, when, he, when you, you, you boldly say, Lord, what would you have me do? And you hear the voice of God and He answers you, oh man, that your heart is filled with thanksgiving. It is a beautiful thing, guys. Beautiful thing to hear the voice of God and, and, and just to tell Him or just for Him to tell us what it is that He wants us to do, His will for our lives. I remember when I first heard the voice of God in my life, you know, I, I was raised Christian. I, I did the altar call at, seven, at eight, 17, 18 in my life, but I never heard the voice of God because I never had a devotional life with Him. But I remember when I first heard the voice of God in my life. It, it broke me. It broke me down into tears. So much joy, so much thanksgiving. I was living a, a, a wicked lifestyle. I hit rock bottom. So I reached out. I cried out to the Lord. And, and I remember clear as day. It, 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 sometimes it's a small, still voice. You know, some, sometimes he speaks through his word. But I heard clear as day is to repent. Repent and you will see my wonders. He says, repent and I will work through you. And I'm like, I remember like, okay, Lord, I repent, but how can you use me? Like, what is it that you want me to do? 
It was a beautiful thing, that moment. And it's a beautiful thing to hear the voice of God. And He can only speak to you. He can only speak to you if you devote time to Him in prayer, in reading the Word. Since that day, I remember I lay hold of God's will for my life and I have not let go. I let go once, but this time I am not letting go of the will of God for my life. And fourth, he says, pray strategically. Pray for open doors and, and for this boldness that we need as Christians. Verse 3 through 4, notice, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. Verse 4, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Notice Paul, he said, while we are on the subject of prayer, guys, pray for me also. Pray for us also. No, but notice Paul here, he didn't ask for prayer for his needs. He didn't say, pray for me, guys. I have so many needs that I need. No. And we know he had many needs. But not to make us feel guilty, guys, not to make us feel condemned for asking for personal needs. Christ, God calls us to, to ask. And you, know, and you shall receive according to the will of God. So not to make us feel guilty, but let me ask you, how many times do you put your needs before God? How many times when you start your prayer, Lord, I, I, I need this. No, start your prayer with glorifying God. Hallowed be your name. Jesus started, hallowed be your name, giving God the glory and praise and thanksgiving. Then it, your will be done. So we, we cannot put our own needs before the Lord. Instead, he asked, notice, he asked for open doors. Notice to preach the gospel. He asked, and, and this reminds me of uh, in Ephesians when Paul says, for me, uh, excuse me, Philippians, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It would have gained him to die and go to heaven, but he chose to live for Christ because it would benefit others. Not himself because he was in, in chains and in bondage, suffering trials, but he chose to live for Christ because it was benefiting others. Paul's always trying to benefit others. He, what, it was for the furtherance of the gospel. That's what he asked them to pray for him, that many more opportunities will come our way and, and, and the opportunity to share the word, to share Christ. Sometimes, I'm not going to lie, when I'm in public, I'll pray, Lord, whoever you bring someone my way. Sometimes I pray for easy ones. An easy, like, Lord, make sure, like, I don't want to have to go out of my way, but bring them my way and I'll tell them. Sometimes I'll do that, but you know, sometimes the Lord puts us in uncomfortable positions and He tests us. Boldness. Pray for boldness. Paul's life here, it, it didn't consist of his, his needs or his desires. It didn't consist of that. It, it, he always thought of, of what Christ wanted. Christ's desires and His will Paul wanted prayer so that he could continue to make the gospel clear and evident even if it meant more chains. Even if it meant more, more, more chains. And that, that is true surrender to the will of God. That is true surrender. Lord, if you want to bring some crazy disease on my life, but you want to keep me here to continue preaching the gospel, so be it or whatever happens in our lives. And God's been merciful and gracious to us. We're all really healthy at, at the end of the day. You know, like we're able to function uh, every day. We're able to live our daily lives comfortably. God's been merciful and gracious. But, you know, if He does ask that, will you surrender to whatever He's asking of you? If He asks, if, he play, if, if, if it requires more chains on you. 
pray for open doors, to share the gospel, and, and, and we need that boldness to do it. We need the boldness. I need boldness. The second devotion that Paul gives us here, verses 5 through 6, is a devotion to proclaim. Notice, a devotion to proclaim first in what we do. Notice verse 5, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time. Notice those who are outside. Paul here is speaking of the unbeliever. The unbeliever. Notice also Paul uses the phrase again, redeeming the time. Paul used this back in Ephesians 5.16. If you remember that study, redeeming the time, using the, the, he uses that same word kairos in Greek, meaning take advantage of opportunities that the Lord brings your way. Take advantage of, of opportunities, redeeming the time, that does not mean live, up, li- live it up you know, because your time is short. No, it's take advantage of every opportunity that is given to you. And we must be wise, guys. We need to be wise in taking advantage of every opportunity to preach the gospel to unbelievers. A devotion to do this. And you see a crucial prayer life You know, as crucial as, a per, as your prayer life is, the Christian life is not only lived in, in the prayer closet. As crucial as it is to pray, your life is not just lived in a, in a prayer closet. There's also action that needs to be taken. There, action with, with an urgency to tell people the truth of Christ. Better yet, to show them the truth of Christ. Remember, words are cheap. Actions show them the the truth of Christ as we studied last week. We need to demonstrate the truth. Demonstrate. We need to walk the walk because talk is cheap. Here Paul says, walk in wisdom. He doesn't say talk in wisdom. He says walk in wisdom. In 1 Thessalonians 4.12, again, Paul says that you may walk properly towards those who, notice again, are outside the unbeliever. 1 Timothy 3.7, Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. A good testimony. Remember in uh, Matthew 5.16, what does Jesus say? Let your light so shine before men. Let it shine that they may see your good works. Jesus didn't say, so that they may hear your good works. No, so that they may see your good works. Those who are outside the unbeliever must must see, be able to see in your life. He must see your good works. Let me ask you a question. What if you told someone about Christ? And you said, Jesus loves you, repent. You've told them about Christ. You've, you've, you've witnessed to them. But yet, they're not accepting the Lord because they are just waiting for them to see it in your life. But they're not seeing it. Or maybe they are. What if there is someone in your life waiting to believe in Christ because they're waiting to see it in your life? Think about that. Are they able to see that in your life? Are you proving what you said to them or are you just saying it? Prove, prove Christ by the way we live. I like what William Barclay said. He said, few people have ever been argued into Christianity. The Christian, therefore, must redeem that it is not so much by his words as by his life that he will attract people to or repel them from Christianity. On the Christian, there is laid the great responsibility of showing men Christ in his daily life. How true is that? To proclaim Christ in what we do. Paul says, proclaim Christ in what we do. And second, he says, in what we say. Verse 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. 
Notice, if we first walk the walk, then the talk is no longer cheap. If we first walk it, then we can talk it. Because then it, it, it'll become impactful. Because whoever you're, you're witnessing to sees it in your life, and sometimes they might even come up to you and ask, well, why are you so different from us? Like, what's, what are you doing? Oh, it's Christ. You know, he, he's Lord of my life. I've given him my life. I can't do those things anymore. It makes them think, wow, I want that. It becomes more impactful. And let, notice, let your speech be with grace meaning to be kind, gracious, thoughtful, and encouraging. Let your speech be encouraging to one another. Seasoned with salt. What are the benefits of salt? Do we know? What do we use salt for? It adds flavor, right? It adds flavor. It's also used, notice, as a preservative as, as a, as a uh, preservative to add flavor and as a preservative, it flavors and it preserves. He says, seasoned with, with salt. And so just as salt makes food taste better, our speech, our evangelism, it, it should bring a good taste to people about Christ. A desire to want more. I love saltiness. When my food is salty, I want more, right? I love that. It's bad for you, but not that we're bad for them. It's just what I'm trying to say is it's a desire to want more. Salt. And it's, it's, it's sad because I've heard so many Christians, so many people say that they used to be Christians, it, I've heard him say that it is no better than the rest of the world because why some unchristian with an untamed tongue left a bad taste in their mouth. I've heard that happen. So many people today call themselves a Christian but don't live the life so they leave a bad taste because they're not salt or their salt has lost its flavor. So they leave a bad taste in people's mouth. And notice as salt preserves, it, 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 it preserves and, and it, it prevents decay. Our words, guys, our words and our witness should never be questionable, should never be offensive or inappropriate. But instead, we must preserve the truth of God through our actions. We need to preserve the word of God in our lives the word that God's given us, it must be preserved in our lives. And, I, you know, it's funny, I've also heard people uh, who say, that, again, they used to be Christians, but they renounced Christianity. I've heard so many people, and it blows my mind, like, how do you renounce Christianity? Notice, because they saw no difference in the church from the world. They, they received no edification, no preservation of the word. There was, there was no difference. No, there has to be a difference, guys. There's a reason why holiness is to be set apart. To be holy. To be set apart. To what? To the Lord. To righteousness. To living the, the, the authority that He's given us. Living it. And Paul said in Ephesians 4.29, walk in holiness. He says, by letting no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but notice, but what is good for necessary edification. Notice, a, a Christian cannot have this the talk. He cannot have the talk without the walk. He, the other way around, he cannot have the walk without the talk. It, you know, the Christians walk and talk, it, it has to be in harmony with each other. Our walk, our talk, our talk, our walk, it has to be in harmony with each other. You can't say one thing and do another. 
You can't do one thing and say another as a Christian. There is one authority. That is the Word of God. Nothing is going to silence a Christian more than a careless life. If you are out and about and you think no one's watching you, nothing is going to silence you more than a careless walk, a careless life. You see, when, when our conduct, guys, and our conversations, when they, when they begin to work together, it makes us powerful witnesses for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how you find your power to witness. And, and when you're out there, remember who you serve. Remember who we serve and who we represent. Remember what Paul said in the last study in chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, notice, do all in the name of the Lord. Would Christ act this way? Or would Christ talk this way? Those are questions to be asked. Would He do this? If He wouldn't, don't do it. And, that, and the only way you're going to know is by being in the Word, of, by knowing the life of Christ, by knowing who He is, by knowing our Lord. That is how you'll begin to live that life. I, I, when I came back to the Lord, I, that's, I read and I read and I read and I began to learn what I couldn't do anymore. When before I didn't have that conviction, I now had the conviction of what I could not do and what I could do. Third, Paul's going to finish the epistle with a devotion to people. Notice, a devotion to people. You know, usually most of us would find this ending kind of irrelevant. And, and sometimes we just, we just rush right through it w- without even giving it a second thought. You know, he's giving praise and, 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 and commending these people. Sometimes we'll just rush right through it, but why was Paul name-dropping? Why was he bringing these people up? There's so much to it. His thoughtful words about some of these unknown individuals are actually pretty significant. And I wish I can get into it a little deeper, but time kind of prohibits us, but if you remember, guys, the, the false teachers in this church were teaching that knowledge and wisdom could only be given to certain individuals. And there were those, those intellectuals who, who loved to feel empowered by their knowledge and wisdom. They loved that, that feeling that well, we, only we have the knowledge and wisdom that the Lord gave to me. You have to come to me to receive that. That's what they were teaching. So here, Paul gives recognition to notice these unknown, ordinary people. We don't know much about them. But yet, Paul gives recognition because he is showing that they are as much spiritual family as the intellectuals in the church. You guys are as much spiritual family as Pastor Rawl, as these these big-time pastors, uh, Greg Laurie, like you guys are as much capable of receiving wisdom and knowledge as any of these pastors of mega churches. We are all capable to do that. So here Paul gives this recognition. Paul, you know, Paul always loved glorifying God by, by exalting ordinary people. These ordinary people were used by God to do extraordinary things. That's why it's important that we understand why does Paul give recognition to these people. Paul here reveals his deep appreciation for those who served with him. We see that for Paul, every person was important. So here, uh, verses 7 through 9, we see the givers. Notice verse 7 through 8. Excuse me if, if uh, I have trouble pronouncing. I'm Mexican. Tychicus, a beloved brother, 
faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your heart. And we see here that the way that Paul explained Tychicus was a man with a servant's heart. A man with a servant's heart. In Acts 24, in Acts 20, verse 4, we see that Tychicus was converted into Christianity in Ephesus. And that here Paul took him with him to Jerusalem as a representative of, of, the, of the Gentile churches. He was a representative for the Gentiles. And we know that the church of Colossae didn't know who Tychicus was. We know that, hence why Paul introduces him. So notice Tychicus was given this huge responsibility, a great honor in being the one to deliver Paul's letters to the churches of Ephesus and Colossians and Philemon. He was given this privilege to deliver... Imagine if only he knew the impact that these letters were going to make to millions. He had them in his, probably a satchel or something. He carried them. He delivered them to these churches. What a privilege. If only he knew this privilege to be used by God in bringing together the epistles of Paul in writing the New Testament. I think that's pretty cool. And verse 9, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. So we see and we know, guys, that Onesimus was a man with, with, with a sinful past. We see uh, throughout the scripture, we see that he had a sinful past. It, he, he was actually a runaway slave from Colossae. And, and Paul uh, came across him and was able to lead him to Christ. We're going to see in, in Philemon, he was Philemon's servant or his slave, and he ran away from that. But Paul came across and led him to, to Christ. Do you think that was a coincidence? No. God ordained that. God used bad for good. His story here was what inspired Paul to write the book of Philemon. This is, this is what inspired Paul to write this book because as we're going to see our final book of, of the prison epistles, it is a book of forgiveness. As he's writing to Philemon, forgive. He inspired him because of, of, of his story. I can't wait to get into that book. There's, it's just one chapter, but it's, it's pretty incredible. Second, we see the greeters, verse 10 through 14. The, these next set of names Paul gives recognition to are Jews and Gentiles. Three, the first three we see here are Jews. Paul, and Paul does this, guys, to show that we are now all one family in Christ, that that middle wall of separation has been broken down, as we saw in Ephesians. Paul, he gives three Jews and three Gentiles. So that way, therefore, we, they, the, this church could see that now God is able to use both Jew and Gentile to do great things for him. So notice verse 10 through 11. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions if he comes to you welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justus, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are, notice, the circumcision. They are Jews. They have proved to be a comfort for me. Notice these three men here were of the, the Jewish heritage as we just saw, yet they served Paul. They served him and they believed in the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, they have proved to be comfort to me. Notice out of the million Jews today, who re out of the millions and millions of Jews today who reject Christ, a lot of them have rejected him as their Messiah. This here shows that there is a remnant 
of Jews who still do believe in him. There is a remnant. In, in Isaiah uh, 10 through 20, he prophesied, It shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them, but notice, will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. This prophecy is fulfilled today because there are those who believe in the Holy One. Who is the Holy One? Jesus. Many reject Him as the Messiah, but there is still those who believe. And and Israel, guys, is always going to be God's chosen people. He will always protect Israel. He's always going to keep for Himself a remnant. He will always protect Israel. He will never abandon His people. Never. And, And notice this remnant, it also speaks of Gentiles. As we see in Isaiah chapter 11, the next chapter, it also speaks of Gentiles as we also see today a remnant of Gentiles. In this room, we are Gentiles uh, and we're, we're just a remnant. And it's funny because I'm always asking myself, is like, where is the multitude that have, I've seen a multitude of people consistently do altar calls and come to the Lord, but yet it's still only a remnant that fill the seats in the church. It's still a remnant. And the next three men that Paul mentions are Gentiles, verse 12 through 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect, complete in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those in Hierapolis. We see Epaphras, as I've mentioned before in the beginning of this book, he was just a humble, faithful pastor and minister. He was a faithful servant of the Lord and to his people. In the beginning of the book, if you remember, I mentioned that Epaphras was the pastor of the church of Colossae, and he was responsible for inspiring Paul to write the prison epistles. Epaphras was just a humble, faithful pastor. This is significant. He was just a humble, faithful pastor with a love for the Word of God. And while he was just simply, faithfully serving the Lord, the Lord led him to Paul because of the heresy of Colossae. He knew that this heresy was wrong because he loved Christ, simply loved him, and he served him, and he knew his word. He had a devotional life, so he knew to discern from the wrong doctrine with the right doctrine. He was, he was just faithfully serving when, when the Lord led him to Paul resulting in the prison epistles. We don't know much about Epaphras, but from what we do know, I know that I want to be a pastor just like him. And if you are called to be a pastor, this is a great pastor to mimic, Epaphras. If you desire, guys, notice, if you desire to do a great work for the Lord, you must just simply, it's simple, You serve Him faithfully right where you are. Faithfully right where you are. You simply love Christ right where He has you, humbly, and He will exalt you. Because He's going to test your heart. Are you going to faithfully serve, or do you want to be seen? Do you want to be promoted in the church to be seen? What God will test you. If you simply serve Him right where you are, He's going to open the next door for, him, for you. Some sooner than others, but it doesn't matter whether he does here or not because in heaven, those who have worked in the darkness to glorify him receive the greatest reward. Humble yourselves and he will exalt you. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician. I'm sure most of us know who Luke is. He was a man with a massive impact, as we see. You know, he, we know that Luke, he was a doctor. We know that he was a physician, and he left his practice 
to travel with Paul as a missionary. We also know that Luke was a very careful historian, and he was the author of what? The Gospel of Luke and Acts. He was the author of Luke and Acts, and I love the writings of Luke. I would probably say that Luke's Gospel is one of my most favorite because Luke, he writes in a more scientific analytical with the, with this analytical mindset and i i love it because his writings are very detailed and impactful when you read them throughout the book of acts in the book of uh, the the gospel of luke i love it verse 14 again notice luke the beloved physician and demas greet you demas was a man with a sad future guys a sad future this man, Demas, could not finish his race. Nothing at, uh, is really said about him except that we see in 2 Timothy verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, he later deserted and abandoned both Paul and the ministry. He had a sad future. The pull, I believe that the pull and the cares of the world became irresistible to him. The pull of the cares of the world became irresistible to Demas. And I strongly believe that he failed because he didn't have a devotional prayer life. He, I believe that he was not having a devotional life with the Lord. So the cares of the world, they plucked out the seed. You know, just like Jesus had his Judas, here Paul had his Demas. Is Demas. And I pray that none of you here become a Demas. I pray that I don't become a Demas. And the only way, guys, is to have a devotional life with the Lord. Reading, praying every single day, fellowshipping. Have a strong devotional life with Him. And third, we see the greeted, verse 15 through 17. 15 through 16, it says, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Notice the fact is when Paul or other apostles back in the day would write letters to the churches, the letters they would publicly read these letters to the congregation and just the way i'm reading this letter to you guys right now they would do the same in their churches that's how they would deliver the letter and they would read it out to their congregation paul used this as a way to teach these specific churches even when he was not able to be there that's one of the reasons why he would write these letters. He would send them to these churches to teach them while he was in prison. I wonder if Paul knew that his letters would make such a huge impact to be used to teach all the churches in the world in all history. I wonder if he, he knew that. It's an incredible thing to think about sometimes. You never know if God calls you to do something small, do a, a simple friendly act or a loving act towards someone, it can be used for something great, like a domino effect. A domino effect. If someone sees your life and you're living your life as a Christian and you do a small, simple act of love to a person, that could possibly cause a domino effect to many more coming to the Lord. Just like this letter did just like God used this letter. And what did Paul mean by the epistle from Laodicea? It, here it's possible that he's speaking about the book of Ephesians. Because in the old, manus, in the old manuscripts, uh, the Ephesians, the, the letter was not titled uh, Ephesians or Ephesus. It wasn't titled, so the book of Ephesians may have been a general letter to the Laodicean churches in Asia Minor. It might have been just some, a general letter. It was not titled Ephesus or Ephesians. And therefore, Tychicus probably delivered a copy of Ephesians to the church of Colossae for them to read also. 
You see Colossians and Ephesians, guys, they're, a ver- they're actually very similar. Ephesians is a little more, um, it's a little more of an expanded version of, Col- of Colossians. A little more expanded. Colossians is a little more specific with, with warnings, but then we see in Ephesians it's very general with worship. It's, but they're very similar. Chapter 3, I believe, Colossians chapter 3 is the most similar to the book of Ephesians as we saw. Therefore, Paul wanted them to read both of the letters to this church. In verse 17, it says, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Notice the special word of, of exhortation that Paul writes to this, this individual, Archippus. He was said to be some, uh, an important interim pastor, and possibly the pastor uh, of the church in Laodicea, and, and we see that he was possibly the inter, interim pastor of Colossae while Epaphras was gone on his, to visit Paul. We, we don't really know for sure, but, you know, from what we see in other books, other chapters. However, we do see that he is mentioned in, in, in Philemon chapter 1, verse 2. It, it, this, this makes us believe that he might have been the son of Philemon. Paul thought highly of Archippus, and it looks like he really valued him as an associate of, of God's work. He exhorted him to fully to fulfill his ministry. Paul gives the same exhortation to Timothy. I give the same exhortation to you. We all have a ministry to fulfill. We all have it. How will you fulfill your ministry? And will you fulfill your ministry? You don't have to be a pastor to have a ministry. You don't have to be in the ministry, with, in, in, in a, working in a church or serving in a church to have a ministry. It could be anywhere in your life. Wherever God has, wherever God has placed you, that could be your ministry. Are you going to fulfill it? And in closing, we see the grace. Verse 18, the salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you, amen. Paul says this salutation by my own hand. You see, Paul often dictated his letters and other people would write them as he was in prison but he would always sign them personally. He would always personally sign them, giving us that seal of authenticity. His famous conclusion on all his letters is, grace be with you. Paul, the apostle of grace. This was appropriate, guys. After he confronted the heresy that spoke of hidden mysteries and righteousness through works, this was appropriate Paul to end with. Paul could only end with grace be with you. Because it is what? By grace that we are saved. It is not of works. And maybe this is why Paul asked Archippus to also read to them the letter of, of Ephesians. Grace be with you. Because why? Jesus, he was full of grace. We see in John chapter 116. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. Translated grace upon grace, like, like consider like the ocean's waves. Consistent, consistent. It feels endless sometimes when the ocean, you see, you go to the ocean, you see the waves consistently coming in. When next time you go to the ocean, imagine that, the grace of God, endless consistently filling your life grace upon grace in the end guys all you need is jesus all you need is christ his grace is sufficient nothing more nothing less nothing else let's pray father we just come before you lord and we thank you so much lord for your grace in our lives And again, Lord, I just thank you so much for this incredible epistle, Lord, for using these men, ordinary people, to do extraordinary things, Lord. I thank you so much, Lord, for 
just being so good, so merciful in our lives for your faithfulness towards us. Lord, I pray that, Lord, the message that was given, Lord, the seed that may have been planted, Lord, may you just water it, Father, with your Holy Spirit, that it may blossom in our lives, Father, that we may go out, Lord, and and go with boldness, Lord, for the furtherance of the gospel. Lord, for us to live is always going to be for your glory. We love you, we honor you, and we just ask that you go before us now. In your precious name, amen.